You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. This is Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone, and he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if we lie together, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. It's great to see you. Uh, My name is Ryan. If I haven't met you, um, that's who I am. I look forward to meeting you. Hey, I've got one more announcement before we come into our text. Starting on Tuesday evening, June the 8th, Tuesday evening, June the 8th, uh, the Mercy View men scrum, like it's a rugby thing, um, uh, the men at Mercy View are going to be starting um, an eight-week study in the book of Mark. Okay, Eight weeks starting June 8th. That'll go to July 27th. So if you are a man here, I am inviting you to come and join us. One of the things that is really important that we begin to do work on and understand with greater depth and clarity is that the Jesus we have is the Jesus that the Bible presents to us. In other words, if you want to encounter Jesus, perhaps the most straightforward way to do that is to read about him, encounter him in his word. In Mark, as an example, the other three Gospels are great too. Mark is shorter and it's faster paced, so we're going to start with Mark. So one of the things I've been thinking about a lot in the last, I don't know, six months... Like, how do we, with greater clarity, understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us? How do we understand that he's actually engaging with us all the time? Not just in the past, when he died on the cross, but now. One of the ways that he's engaging with us is through his word. And so we want to do that together as men men at mercy. We come together, look at Mark, study together, and be changed because that's what Jesus does. That's what he does. That's what he did when he brought you from death to life. That's what he does in your life all the time in the process of sanctification, him, you becoming more like him. So we want, we think that's a community project. And so we want to do that together. So I want to invite you to be there. Um, it'll be at the youth house, just across the parking lot here. Uh, we'll have more information to come. Also, you can sign up at the back, uh, in the foyer where where you um, came in this evening. In the last 14 months, last 14 months, uh, we have all um, lived through COVID, its effects, the challenges, but obviously they're not over. They're not over. We continue to bear some of the results, um, encountering some of the effects of the coronavirus last 14 months. I think we're probably going to be doing that for a while. So one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about 
in the last couple, couple, couple months probably, is to think about, okay, how are the long-term effects of COVID going to kind of land on us and be with us for a while? Long-term. Maybe in the last little while you felt um, um, squeezed, like in an uncomfortable kind of way. Maybe you felt pressed by COVID, its effects in, in, in ways that are uncomfortable. I think most everybody would say, yeah, that's, that's true. Maybe you felt like butter spread over too much toast, just like thin. That's a Tolkien reference, if you're, if you're wondering. Or maybe you felt lonely. Maybe you felt lonely. It seems to me that in the last little while, one of the things that COVID has done in our culture is to, is to pull back pull back some of the veneer that we like to, we have to talk about in our late modern culture. Things like self-sufficiency, self-autonomy, things like self-reliance, things like I just need to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I don't really need you. One of the things, in my view, that COVID has done is help us get a glimpse behind that curtain and say, you know what? Maybe those cultural ideals aren't so ideal. Maybe actually they're not so ideal. Some of these, some of these ideas of, of late modernity. So it seems to me that we're in a new stage. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited to see your faces with no masks. But, like, we can't, we, like, it's not over. We're just in a new stage. So as we enter into a new stage, a longer-term stage, what are those effects? In other words, how has the last 14 months of COVID affected the ways you think about the church? Think about life in the body. Some feel distant. Some feel disconnected. Some exhausted. Some disoriented. Some actually are maybe found a pretty comfortable spot on the edges of the community. Others are frustrated. Listen, I talk to a lot of people, so I know that there's a range of emotion, a range of experience of the last little while. So no matter where you find yourself this morning at these intersections between COVID, its effects, and life in the body for you, one of the things that it's got to be super, super clear that God is with you. Okay? God is with you. Not in the sense of like he's green lighting everything you feel because sometimes our feelings are, you know, not great. Sometimes they get us in trouble. But in the sense that he's actually with you. And not in this strange, you know, esoteric, like, yeah, he's with me. But no, no, he's with you. In 1 John, when, the, when the, the, the apostle says, Jesus is our advocate, what do you think he means? What does an advocate do? The advocate stands beside the person, not above them, not behind them, next to them. That's what he's doing. So he's with you. No matter how you feel, no matter what those, maybe some of that internal tension is like for you, he is with you. And he's not just standing there, he's fulfilling promises. Promises like, I will never cast you out. Promises like, I will never leave you. Promises like, I will save you to the uttermost. Being saved to the uttermost sounds like something I need. 
not like halfway, the uttermost. And just for clarity, one of the ways that Jesus actually does this for us, demonstrates his love for us, his advocacy for us, is in and through the church. It's, it's, it's one of these ways that God has prescribed that he is actually going to minister to his people through his people. He's going to minister to the people around you through you. Like, I don't know if you've thought about that before. Like, when you walk into this place and, like, you say something that's encouraging to somebody. Or you pray for somebody. Or you just listen to somebody. Could it be that God, through the power of the Spirit, is ministering to that person through you? Yes. That's, like, exactly what's happening, among other things. God ministering to his people through his people in the church. So one of our one of our issues coming out of the last 14 months is a prolonged isolation that some have gotten used to. And I feel like even in my bones sometimes like man I just sitting down's nice. I would like to just sit down and not get up. We got to be aware of that. You see like just like as real as I can be, there are some folks who were with us 14 months ago who are not with us anymore. Or have got maybe like a foot kind of out the door who have gotten maybe a little comfortable with life outside of the body. No, listen, that's not everybody, and I'm not trying to scare you. I'm like actually really, really, really and often encouraged by stories I hear of people here, people in our groups, like pressing in. Pressing into relationship, dealing with difficult things, moving toward one another with, with mercy and empathy and grace and love. Those are great things. More, please. But no matter where you are, what God is doing in his text this morning in Ecclesiastes is to show you what his plan for you is. A piece of it. Not the whole thing, but a piece of it. Why has he designed you in such a way to need other people? To need to be a part of the body of Christ or a spiritual family? That's what he's doing. So with that said, let me point to three um, ideas uh, for you this evening. First, that we're better together. Second, we need others-centeredness. And third, there is strength in numbers. But first, let me pray. Our Father, thank you for your love, for your people, for your children. Thank you, God, that you are active in our lives. You are active. You are here with us now through the Spirit. God, as we turn to your word, open our eyes that we would find wonders in it. So if you've got your Bible, uh, Ecclesiastes 4, we'll pick up at verse 9. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has, no, has not another to lift him up. Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. So if you don't know, the Bible is comprised of several different literary genres, and each of them requires specific tools to be able to rightly interpret them. So as an example... 
you wouldn't try to interpret a book of poetry like you would the encyclopedia. If you tried, or any, like, I guess, like resource material, I don't know if anybody actually has an encyclopedia anymore. Um, if you tried to interpret a poem like it was something out of an encyclopedia, you would miss the point. You'd miss the point, and vice versa. You just wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to understand what the author wants you to understand in the text. So, with wisdom literature, we have to understand that there are, there, there are some things we've got to know in order to rightly interpret it. One of, those, one of those rules is that wisdom literature speaks in generalities. Generalities that are true in most contexts. So you could look at verse 9 and 10 in Ecclesiastes 4, and maybe from a, a skeptical place, be like, man, I know of a person who was wildly successful on their own, had nobody to help him. It's like the American dream. It's what he did. Awesome. Great. But not the point, because wisdom literature is not talking about specifics. It's talking about generalities that are true in most contexts. So what Ecclesiastes 4 is doing here is bearing down on us, on people, that we need other people. As a person in general, as a Christian, certainly, the idea being that we're better together than we are alone. Look again with, with me at verse 9. He says this, Two are better than one because he has a good reward for their toil. The principle of companionship, of relationship, of community is here in verse 9. If you were to look back up the page or behind, wherever it is in your Bible, at verse 7, you would find the, the author explaining the plight of the person who is alone. The author says laboring alone, <clears throat> being alone, is vain. It's, it's worthless. <clears throat> and for us, it's less, it's less than what God has designed this for and has for you. By contrast, verse 9, relationship, community is one of the ways that God works and leads you to life. To life. See, there's a specific juxtaposition happening here between the futility, the vanity of isolation, and the potential for flourishing that exists in relationships, in community, in, in our case, in a local church. So as a broad point, we can't buy the idea, don't buy the idea of, of, of self-sufficiency. Like, I got it. No, no, no. I think the point is, what the text is saying you don't. On the finer point, in light of COVID, the last little while, don't buy the lie that life in the body, life in these relationships can be lived on the periphery. It can't be. That's what he's, that's what he's, he's driving at here. So the next important question for us to consider must be raised is how, how will you, how will we prioritize life together? Maybe even before that, will, will you, will we prioritize life together? And then specifically how, how? Two are better than one, that's what God said. Now listen, better is a broad term, I get it. So let's, let's think practically, how? How are two better than one, Ryan? 
Thank you. I'm glad you asked. Here are a couple examples. First, when you feel overwhelmed, two are better than one. I mean like really overwhelmed. Like feel like you're drowning overwhelmed. Like feel like all the internal resources that you have are exhausted. There's nothing left. Like that overwhelmed. What are the chances when you feel that way? I mean, I'll speak for me. The chances that when I feel that way, that somehow I'm just going to like gin up what I need from inside of me to get out of the situation or to fix it, what are the chances? Not good. The chances are not good. That if I'm really overwhelmed, that somehow I'm going to fix it myself. That's not a thing. And as we go through different stages of life, there's possibility for this all the time. Graduate, new job, New town, you get married, you have kids, you have more kids. You get squeezed. Different pressure, different types of pressure that push on you in all kinds of interesting ways. And I, like, it's incredibly difficult to move through those seasons of feeling out new pressures. Like, oh, I feel like I have growing pains and I don't know what to do with it. Like the water's getting really deep, I don't know what to do. It's hard to do that alone. It's less than what God has for you to do that alone. What does the text say? Two are better than one. Over in Proverbs 11, also wisdom literature, it says that there is safety among multiple counselors. Community in the local church, like that's what that is. There's safety in multiple counselors. Two are better than one. So when you feel overwhelmed... Why are two better than one? Because we can help each other. In Galatians 2, 6, 2, when Paul says, bear one another's burdens, what do you think he means? What do you think he means? He means entering into one another's situations. Pain, need, overwhelmedness, and helping, carrying, bringing stability when there isn't any. Providing external resources when the internal resources are gone. That's what he's talking about. Bearing one another's burdens. When you feel overwhelmed, two are better than one. Another example, suffering. When we suffer, two are better than one. So like the last year, I could say like, yeah, COVID, we've had new layers of suffering, and that's true. But I want to go back to 2017. Think personally for a minute. In 2017, in the missional community, the small group that Katie, my wife, and I were leading, three couples had miscarriages, us being one, different times throughout the year. And in that space, there was great opportunity for, for coming together, great opportunity to help one another move through the pain of losing an unborn child. So was it perfect? No. Was it hard? Extremely. But what did God do? He provided for his people. So now that was four years ago. I look back on that time. And with those three families, since then, between the three families, five kids have been born. Because that's what Mercy View does. And every time I see those precious kids, mine and then the others, like, I remember that God provided for me that he provided for them. Not that he gave us more kids. Thank you, Lord, for that. But that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of real pain, for me, the first real, real pain that I've been through in my life, God provided for me with other people 
to cry with, to be with, to, to encourage and to be encouraged by. When we suffer, two are better than one. Two are better than one. Another idea, another example. Two are better than one when it's time to celebrate. Listen, celebrate. We've got to celebrate what God is doing, what he's done in and through one another's lives. It's amazing. We sit back and do that. So I, a dear friend of mine uh, graduated from nursing school this week. This week. And a couple of us went out last night. We, had, we hung out, had a beer, celebrated what God has done in his life. Why would we do that? Well, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons. But ultimately, ultimately, at the bottom, the foundational reason, God ministers to his people through his people, not just in suffering, but in celebration. When we celebrate what God has done in his life, he's filled up by, by understanding that his father's engaging with him and is celebrating him through his people. You see, God is constantly, friends, breaking into our lives. We have to see with, with new eyes how he's doing that. When we celebrate one another, it's an example of him doing just that. Breaking in, making himself known, reminding you that he loves you as his child, as his son or daughter. See, now when I say that things like that, most people are into that. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I would like to be a part of a community that does those things. That sounds good. And it does sound good, but eyes wide open here, it's not always like rainbows. <laughs> like it's actually can be really challenging. There's actually quite a bit of messiness associated with a bunch of sinners being in close proximity together. Who knew? Who knew? So look with me at verse 10. Two are better than one. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. So the imagery here is a person falling in a hole, like a deep hole, a ditch, a well of some sort. Now, you fall in a hole that's deep enough in the ground, the chances of you getting out by yourself are really low. Probably not going to happen. So you need somebody else to lift you up out of the hole. Now, I don't know when you read the Bible, friends, if you see things like that and you go, oh, there's a picture of redemption there. That in my sin, I'm in a deep, deep hole, a pit, and God in Christ breaks in, rescues me out of the pit. He comes down in to get me. He didn't just like look at me from up there, but came down in to pick me up and pull me out to save me. If you're a Christian, that's what he's done for you. He saw you from far off in the pit and moved heaven and earth to get you out of it. Actually, it cost him his own life. Man. Man. And the thing about it is like when we see that heart of Christ in salvation, one of the things we've got to remember is that, yeah, he did that in the beginning, like when you became a Christian, when he saved you the first time out of the pit. But one of our things as people is we go back into the pit. When I go back into the pit, guess who comes after me? Every single time. Like his storehouses are overflowing with mercy and grace. So when you find yourself in the pit, guess who's coming after you? Jesus. 
He's coming after you now. So like when you think about him and how he engages with you in your life, don't just think about like in the past. Like, yeah, I know he died for me. It's a long time ago, like 2,000 years. I know he saved me, like for me, maybe like 15 years ago. I don't know. And that's it. No, no, no. Now, now. Like when you're in the pit now, here he's coming, he's coming. His heart for you is the same now as it was then. The same. So if he saved you once and his heart is the same, what do you think his chances are he's going to save you again? 100%. 100%. Same mercy, same love, same compassion, same patience, same gentleness. He's the one who went after, who left the 99 for the one. Not just once. Not just in the past. Now. Now. So one of the ways that he does that, one of the ways that he pursues you like that is through community, is through the church, creating these types of relationships where God can minister to his people, through his people, as we get down in the ditch together and as he helps us out. But friends, barriers exist, challenges exist. So for the sake of time, Let's think about one here together, a, a, a barrier to, to that. Chosen isolation. Now, that sounds awful. It is awful. Chosen isolation. Again, coming, coming out of the last 14 months, COVID, its effects, it seems applicable to be reminded what the text says in verse 10. Woe to you who is alone. Now, when the Old Testament says woe, it's like it's a cue, like I need to pay attention. It's not a good thing. Woe to you who is alone. Why? Because if he falls, he's alone. No one's there to pick him up. So in the last year, many have experienced new or additional layers of loneliness. Yeah, it's a thing. Uh, Maybe you're reeling from that even right now. Like, reeling from it. So that's the case. I want to plead with you and everyone else to, to make intentional effort toward connection here. On Sundays, in smaller contexts in the week, the MC, the, the D groups, the just relationships that you might have. Like, I get it. Like, we're busy and everything is going on and the world has all of these things that are constantly distracting me all the time and I can't focus. I know, I know. Focus. Like, we need each other. And coming out of the last 14 months, there's a, in my view, there's like a, there's like a heightened edge to that right now, a sharp edge of like, man, we need each other. Maybe more so than normal. So I think about that, I think practically. Think about this summer. Go outside, engage with each other. Great opportunities. Friends, great opportunity to re-engage, rekindle, rebuild, or build new relationships around the gospel, around what Christ has done, about our collective sonship in him, all of that, because two are better than one. Because two are better than one. Friends, we're better together than apart. Better together than alone. But simply spending time together, like quantity of time, isn't it? It's like, yes, but there's something else going on. So that leads me to the second point I want you to see this morning. Others-centeredness. Others-centeredness. Look with me at verse 11. 
Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Now, this text is a survival text. Like it's cold at night in the woods or in the wilderness, and without somebody else, you alone might just freeze to death. That's the idea here. But there's a mutual benefit happening. What is it? Warmth. Warmth. In community relationships, there's a similar principle, a mutual benefit that we have. There are certain things that I give to the community and certain things that the community give to me. For community in the local church to work, for it to function the way it's supposed to, we have to approach one another with an others-centeredness. An others-centeredness. Or to think about it this way, what is your first priority as it relates to relationships here or in, in, the, in the small group in the MC? Is it to serve or to be served? <clears throat> is it to reach out or to wait till somebody does that? Is it to see an issue and it like, like gracefully and humbly move toward that or just kind of, you know, let it go? Serve or be served. Others-centeredness. It's like a button-down button shirt. Like if, if the first button goes in the second hole, the whole shirt is screwed up. Like the orientation's wrong. It's just not going to work. In a similar way, there are cascading effects to life in community when if I'm here to serve or I'm here to be served. So, what might this posture of others-centeredness, what might it look like? Or what might it do? A couple, a couple ideas here. First, other-centeredness <clears throat> sees people. Sees people. Now, coming out of COVID, one of the things that we got to think about and do uh, moving forward is to lift our eyes off of ourselves and intentionally see the people around us. Like more than just like, oh, I see you sitting there. Like, I see you. So what might that look like? What are examples? So we've mentioned it in passing a couple times already. But, like, we have a bunch of new parents in this church. Like, a bunch. So maybe you're in a, you're in a group with somebody who just had their first kid or another kid or whatever. So what might it look like for you to see that person? Well, maybe it's like, hey, can I hold, can I hold him? So you can relax. I love to hold babies, especially mine. Maybe not others, but mine. Can I hold them so you can just kind of take a minute? Simple. But like if you've ever been around a new parent who's like losing their mind, that's a big deal. I can tell you because I have done that. Or maybe it's volunteering in Mercy View Kids. So that the moms among us who normally kind of fall on that sword can take a break and come in and experience the Lord. Maybe it's doing that in the group. Maybe it's just saying, hey, big changes in life. How are you? And listen. Listen. Seeing other people. See, like life is so complicated. Things are always changing. If I'm not paying attention to you, like, really, I'm going to miss all kinds of opportunities that the Lord wants to work in me to serve you. Like, that's what we're talking about. 
Like seeing other people provides an opportunity for God to minister to you, excuse me, through you to other people. Seeing other people. Second idea. Ask meaningful questions. Ask meaningful questions. Like, does anybody in the world like small talk? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't. Meaningful questions. Like, if I, like, when I'm, if I see you and I move toward you and, okay, like, now what are we going to talk about? Tell me your, what's your story? What are you celebrating? What's challenging? What's something the Lord's showing you about you or about him? How have you seen him work in the last, I don't know, pick X amount of time? The last week. What has God done in your life in the last week? Or today? Meaningful questions. And then follow up. Ask why a lot. Why do you think that? Meaningful questions. That's what other-centeredness looks like. Like, you know, I know, like when somebody asks me a question and they're actually listening to me opposed to waiting to talk. (laughs) You know the difference. What does it look like? What does it look like to ask meaningful questions? Another idea just came came to me here. Like when I think about listening, like I'm really listening, like what am I doing? Am I just sitting there? Like wait, no, no. I'm actually thinking like, how can I follow up on what this person says? How can I ask another question? What should that question be? Following up. Following up. Now, let me be super clear. This other-centeredness doesn't mean that somehow you just give, 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 and never receive anything back from the community. That's not what it means at all. In fact, when a community is healthy, it begins to take on this selfless shape where everyone is serving. Everyone has the posture. They got the top button right. Everyone is serving. And as a consequence, most, maybe everyone, is being served as a shape of selflessness that begins to happen. In fact, that looks a whole lot like the kingdom. Jesus said this in Matthew 20, whoever would be first must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus exemplifies other-centeredness by doing what he said he would do in in Matthew 20. Leaving the security of heaven, coming down to the danger of earth, not coming as a king, but coming as a man. Coming as a servant. And not to conquer the world, like through shedding others' blood, but by overcoming it by the shedding of his own. Of his own. Jesus giving his life as a ransom for for you, sacrificing himself for you. So Jesus is the foundation, he's the basis for our other's centeredness in community. So as, as people, as relationships in community, as we help one another get closer to Jesus, we look more like him. And as we look more like him, we begin to display more other's centeredness that looks like the kingdom, looks like him. But running alongside, like, like right parallel, alongside all of the good news about other-centeredness that brings life and joy and flourishing, is running alongside that is the enemy. 
who wants to deceive you, who wants to twist and contort and poison your thinking toward the body, toward an individual, toward God himself. Listen, isn't that what he did in the garden? Seek to undermine Eve's confidence in who God said he was. Did God really say he misrepresented him? Of course he did. That's what he does. That's his plan. So this leads me to the third and final point I want you to see this morning, that there is strength in numbers. Strength in numbers. Look with me at verse 12. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So the imagery here is of a robbery. Think about Luke 10 and the, the, the good Samaritan. He's walking down the road, the, the man on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He gets jumped, he gets robbed, he gets beaten up and thrown in a ditch to die. If you're walking on the road alone, you get attacked, the chances of you prevailing against these robbers is low. But if you're walking on the road with other people, maybe the robbers leave you alone. And even if they don't, maybe you help one another and you band together and you, you prevail. Their strength in numbers. Everyone, maybe, I hope, I hope everyone, has seen an example of like the National Geographic or Discovery Channel specials of like lions hunting. In Africa, I hope you've seen something like this at one point in your life. For me, I think about a documentary called Africa, the Serengeti. Uh, it's, it's narrated by James Earl Jones. So I watched this in the IMAX when I was like eight. And as, you know, I'm, I'm thinking the whole time, like, why is Darth Vader narrating this film? Like, this is weird. But if you've seen anything like that, you know. Like, the lions, they do the same thing. They run the same play over and over and over. What do they do? They look at the herd. They see which ones are on the edges. Then they go after them. They, they separate them. They cut them off from the, the strength of the herd in the numbers. They get them alone. They get them off to the side. And then what do they do? They pounce. They tear them up. They, they tear them apart. They devour them. Devour them. They do it over and over and over again. Like it's the same in every single one of these nature films. Why? Because it works. It works. There's danger in isolation and there's strength in numbers. In, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a vague kind of sense, it's even God communicating us through nature to say, hey, listen, it's dangerous to be alone. It's dangerous to be alone. But there's strength in numbers. Friends, this is a picture of our community our church with an enemy who wants to divide us up, the Bible calls him a lion, and to devour each and every one alone. And do you think, thinking contextually, coming out of the last 14 months of COVID, that might be one of his strategies? Hey, stay home. Hey, stay over here. Hey, you don't necessarily need that. Hey, just, you know, you're, you're good to just like kind of, you know, stick your toe in and then get, but you think that might be what he's thinking about? Maybe. Community, strength in numbers is one of the ways to fight against that, to overcome that. You can't do that by yourself. Friends, we need each other like the wildebeest need each other. And if you're thinking, okay, Ryan, I've done this before, like I hear what you're saying, but man, it's hard. And maybe it's not worth it. 
Like it's really messy. Maybe like I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling frustrated, angry, disappointed. Like let's talk about that. Like I want to talk about that. Like I have that conversation a lot. And I want to talk to you about that. Why? Because we can talk about it. And my hope is we can, we can come back in. Why? Because there's strength in numbers. And there's danger in isolation. Like everything's on the table. Let's talk. I'm into that. Don't isolate yourself. Don't put yourself in danger as a, as a believer, as a Christian. Like, you're opposed. You have an enemy. And I know, like, in our post-enlightenment, rational world, it's hard for us to even understand that there's a spiritual being who wants to destroy you. But that's real. It's real. And one of the ways that God has buttressed his, his church, helped you, is to bring us together in the face of that. In the face of that. In fact, one commentator suggests that this growing sense of interdependency, not independency, interdependency is a mark of Christian maturity. In other words, when we get around to understanding that we're needy, needy, God is at work. God is at work. So I don't know how you feel about life in the body after the last 14 months. No matter where you find yourself, God in his word in Ecclesiastes this morning is telling you why community is important in your life. He's telling you why he designed it to work this way. He's breaking in right now to share with you your need to be a part of a spiritual family. So at Mercy View, as we think about our series, like this has been a foundational value of us forever. And it will continue to be so. There's not another way forward. This is the way. This is the way. Because God has chosen actually to demonstrate his care for you, his love for you, by, 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 by not leaving you alone. To say, I just kind of figured it out. I saved you, but you know, you just kind of figured it out. No. He's not negligent. He has saved you, pulled you up out of the pit, and he's put you where? By yourself? No. In a spiritual family. That's the idea. That's the idea. God demonstrates his love for you by placing you in a church. Like, is it an accident that you're here? Like, you sitting here right now? No, it's not an accident. God brought you here. He brought you here. Why? Because he loves you. He's calling you. He's reminding you. He's showing you. Like, hey, hey, I'm going to demonstrate my love for you by showing you. Hey, here are these people. And we're going to get together and we're going to be a community. Come hell or high water. That's what the church is. It's true cosmically that he's done that for you in Christ. And it's true specifically and practically if you're sitting here listening or watching on the internet and like a part of mercy of you are thinking about it. God has brought you here. He's brought you here. And it shows us, it shows us what he's like. It tells us that his love is not in some weird ethereal just like blob somewhere, but it is real, it's demonstrable, and it's here. How do I know? Because you're sitting here, listening to his word. It tells us that he loves us because he's brought us together in such a way where we can experience him in life together. Let's pray.